Miracy. You have to understand that it's a long-term process, that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And it is hard and it is frustrating. I'm in the process of that now with a Facebook group, building up engagement from scratch, and it can feel defeating. How do you start building an email list of potential clients from scratch when you're new as a coach? That's one of the most common questions I hear from newer coaches that are starting out at zero. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped thousands of coaches create profitable and thriving businesses. This is a podcast where we answer burning questions that newer coaches would love to ask a more experienced coach. You've probably heard that building an email list is the first thing you should do as an online business owner. Maybe you've heard the money is in the list. One of the things I tell my students all the time is your list is your number one asset. So I'm going to talk to a coach that knows how to build your customer base. She's an engagement specialist. Today, I've invited Molly Carter. Molly is a course creator coach at Miracy. She's also a sex educator and a certified intimacy coach. She has worked as a copywriter for mental health and addiction. Welcome, Molly. Thank you, Melinda. I'm so excited to be here. Molly, I am really excited to have you on the show. Now, before we dive into this topic, would you mind sharing with our listeners just a bit about your background? Sure thing. So my professional background and my education was in mental health and psychology. I started my career working in an adjudicated youth placement facility, working with kids who were addicted and then moved into community-based addiction, working with adults and teenagers who were struggling. I was a case manager, helped remove barriers that were standing in their way of recovery. Um, in 2014, I wanted to move away from addiction. So I started my freelance career and I became a writer. I specialized in a variety of things from medicine and health and wellness to uh, sex and relationships, which is where I continued to work. I started my own blog in 2012, and it has morphed and developed. I have 30,000 followers across platforms, and I help people who are in committed relationships improve the intimacy in their life so that they can strengthen their relationship and their communication skills with each other, have more fun, and keep those good, happy chemicals going so that they feel in love. Uh, beyond that, I also now work at Miracy as a coach uh, for course development, and I help entrepreneurs build online courses to improve their impact and their financial success. Awesome. What a background. Now, I love what you said, you know, 30,000 followers, people that are following you across all the different platforms. And that's what we're going to get into today. Now, in the introduction, I said that the burning question is the problem with starting from scratch. I think a lot of listeners would be like 30,000. Oh my God, I wish I could make it to that. I wish I could just have 300. Heck, I wish I could just have 30. And so that's what I experience a lot with newer coaches. And we got a question from one of our listeners. So I want to use that as a foundation for our conversation. And the email that we received reads as follows. Hi, my name is Melissa Deal. I'm coaching in a new industry, well, new to me, in which I really have no contacts. I used to run a business teaching fitness and nutrition, but that was nearly 10 years ago. And I'm no longer in touch with those clients. 
I want to ask, how can I start to build a list of prospects from scratch? My last coaching business was built completely on referrals, but I already had a solid name and reputation in my area because of my dance studio. This is completely different. What are some pro tips or maybe ideas other than starting with current personal and professional contacts? Thank you so much. Thank you, Melissa, for your question. So Molly, how should Melissa go about this? She's not new in having a business. She's very familiar with that, but she's freshly out of the gate as a coach in this industry. Well, it sounds like that she has some resistance to talking to people that she knows, which I totally understand. But regardless of what industry you're in, even if it's something that you're not known for, I would push back a little on that resistance to talk to people you know, because you don't know who they know. And the extended network, the network of your network is very big. There might be more there than you realize. Now, that being said, obviously, that's not going to necessarily fill somebody's list. So my first thing I would say is to talk to the people you know, let them know what you're working on. You might be surprised uh, who they know that they could refer you to, even if it's just for research or developing that relationship in other ways. I love what you said. You never know who they know. And we don't want to make that assumption or take that for granted. But I also find that in just talking about it, you're exercising a new muscle. We're so afraid that if we start talking about it, we might fail. So we never exercise that muscle. Because a lot of times when we're early in our business, we get tongue-tied a lot. And it's like, ooh, that didn't sound so good. And I'd rather practice on the friends and family who already know me and love me anyway, no matter how much I mess up, so that I can build that muscle. Absolutely. The first time I built a course, I was breaking the rules and doing market research with friends and family instead of my general audience. And I learned so much. I had reached out to people I knew in real life, also Facebook friends, and was like, hey, I'm trying to talk to happy couples. Would you be willing to talk? And a lot of them were willing to talk to me. And a lot of them weren't happy couples that they had presented, right? So I learned so much, opened up so many relationships, were able to give so many friends and family support that they didn't know I could offer them, that they needed, uh, that it really, it changed my whole perspective of sharing what I do with my family and friends. Because on the topic that I deal with, I live in a very small town, I hid that for a long time. And it was a process for me to be able to be like, hey, you guys know I'm a writer. I also do this. I also help people improve what happens in their bedrooms so that they can have stronger relationships. That was scary for me to do. So I understand the resistance to, to reaching out, but it did great things for me. It gave me a lot of support. And, and now those people refer people to me. And that's how I queued it up when I first started my business. I was like, hey, let's meet at a coffee shop. I want to tell you what I'm up to. I'm doing something new. At the beginning, it was not about, hey, I'm going to get you on my list or, hey, I want you to be my client. It was truly just, hey, I want to share with you what I'm doing because I'm not an interior designer anymore. That's how you know me. That's how you've known me forever. But I'm doing this now and I just want to share it with you and I want to hear what you're up to. And it was really just that place of relationship building, curiosity. And that lasted for a number of weeks where I was just in the coffee shop almost every day meeting with somebody different from that place of, I want to share with you what I'm doing now because I'm not doing this anymore. And I didn't have any attachment to outcomes. The only outcome I had was me telling them what I'm up to. That was it. That was the only expectation. And I think that detachment helped my resistance calm down a little bit 
because I wasn't, while I was sitting at the coffee shop, I wasn't going, oh my God, am I going to get them on the list? Am I going to, how am I going to get their email address? What will they sign up? They won't probably sign up. They, they probably can't afford this. I don't know if they can do that. I, I probably, whatever we should probably, like all that self-talk was not happening because I was truly present. What's your experience with that? I think that is a great thing to do. People resist that because they think of it as an ask, but people like to help each other out. And while I'm sharing the updates in my life with them, they're also sharing the updates in their life with me. So for instance, I was a writer for a decade and a lot of people know me as a writer. And so unless I let them know otherwise, they send writing referrals to me and I I don't need those writing referrals. I'm not going to take them. By having those conversations, by reconnecting with people, you're helping them as much as they're helping you and allowing each of you to help other people who one of us could provide a service for. And then along those same lines, as you said, it is relationship building. And for most of us coaches, that's why we're here, right? It's about building relationships. It's about connecting with people. And why not connect with those we already know in that way? So what specifically did you do to go from zero to one? Because I remember I was at this um, mastermind one time and Robert Allen was there. And one of my colleagues was saying, I want to speak in front of 50,000 people. And they were so adamant about getting in front of 50,000 people. And he stood up and he was like, you know, the way you get to 50,000 people is you start with five and then you go to 50 and then you go to 500 and then you go to 5,000 and eventually you get to 50,000, but you don't start at 50,000. And I think a lot of us, want to jump to, quote unquote, the big list, because we think the big list is where we'll get results. What did you specifically do that took you from zero contacts on your list to one, and then to two, and then to four? Absolutely. I've had my business in one form or another, at least in the blog aspect, since 2012. But I didn't actually start building a list until probably about 2016. But when I started collecting my list, My first people on my list were people I knew. Uh, Some of my best friends, my husband was on it. So I had them originally on there. So that way, if I was sending newsletters, I didn't feel like I was just talking to an empty auditorium. Then for me, I did a lot of research and I had been in the industry. So I knew where my audience was. I knew where they went seeking for answers. And so I started putting answers in those places. One of the places for me was Quora which uh, if your listeners don't know, is a question answer social media type site, mostly content-based, like a written copy. And people can ask questions and then the writers can answer the questions. Within probably a year, I became one of their top writers in my areas. So that helped. I was more likely to get better questions, things like that. So I was writing on Quora. At the end of my answers, I would have a small lead magnet that people could opt into to get on my list. And what did that sound like? Like, what was it? What did you put at the, I want to get real granular here for a second. What did you put at the end of each answer? Sure. So I had a couple different lead magnets. And let's say the question was, how do I talk to my partner about my lack of libido? For instance, I would write the answer. And then at the bottom, I would say something like, if you want to know more about this, here is a cheat sheet to help you guide your conversation. And then they would opt into that cheat sheet. They go into a welcome sequence that I automated. At the end of that five-day sequence is ways we can work together. So the, the lead magnet got them onto my list and then I nurtured them. I also have like, here's the different areas you can find me, the different platforms I'm on. I have one email that these are my top performing posts. These are what people ask a lot. So I'm answering their questions. I'm giving them the information that I assume they need. 
Um, and then I, again, tell them how we can work together. So that's the, the initial process to get them onto my list. And I've had that set up in one form or another since probably close to the beginning. Mm-hmm. So again, being where they're at is important. So for instance, if you're trying to target uh, postmenopausal women, you don't go to TikTok. Yeah. Now, you know. <laughs> no, you so, don't. <laughs> yeah. So it's really important, I think, when you're starting to list build to do the research to know where your people are. Now, one of the things that I'm noticing, you talked about, you know, you had a newsletter that you sent out, but if you don't have anybody on your list, and I loved your solution, it's like, well, put your friends and family and say, hey, I'm just going to send this to you because I don't want to talk to the void, but I got to get it going. And I know with our coaches console users that use our software, like whenever you send a newsletter, an article from your console system to whoever's on your list, if it's one person or two people or 20 or 200, uh, it will automatically post it on your website. And so when I was starting, I've got another side business, a passion project. And in the beginning, that's one of the things I also did. I had my husband. I was like, dude, I'm putting you in this thing called newsletter group. And it's a group of two, me and you right now. And that was it. And I, But that way I could send a newsletter so that A, I got in the habit of sending out an article once or twice a month. And B, I was building up the article list on my website so that as I was talking to people, I could refer them to an article on my website. Now I'm leveraging my website. I'm providing value to them. But I love how you also made your husband get on your newsletter list in the beginning. And when you talked about the newsletter and talked about writing answers in that forum, that's one of your specialties, right? That's one of your skill sets is writing. That's what you're good at. What if people aren't good at writing? That came easy to me. I will say that writing is a skill like any other skill and can be learned. But there are other places that you can share information. For instance, video is not my strong suit, but I still have a YouTube channel and my people don't care so much that the production might not be the best, but that the information is the best. They still get value from the information. So whether it's writing, whether it's video, whether it's podcasting, you have to learn to be uncomfortable. You have to learn to build that skill set. When I started blogging in 2012, I was not a writer. I worked in addiction and in mental health. That was my expertise. And I started a blog because I was thinking I wanted to go into digital writing and I needed to up my skill set. So that's why I actually started blogging. And then Lo and behold, that developed into the path that I walked. But I intentionally went out to learn those skills so that I could utilize them. So I want to encourage people to start where you're at, to offer yourself some grace and compassion and know that people, you know, if your goal is to help people lose weight, they're not going to care if you have a misplaced comma. They're not going to care so much about too many ums in your YouTube video. Because when you're right, people find you and the resonations there and you guys align they really do focus on the value of of what you offer them, not on the details of how they get it. So I I think it's important to become, yeah, become comfortable in doing those things that you're uncomfortable doing, writing a blog post, writing a newsletter, making a YouTube video, joining somebody on a podcast. I like to say, if we're not feeling a little uncomfortable in our business, are we really working hard enough? Yeah. I mean, that's where the results happen is outside of our comfort zone. And so every day I'm always asking, how can I push my edge so I can get comfortable with the discomfort of being an entrepreneur? Now, one of the things that came natural for me, I mean, I've been doing this since I was a a little girl, is networking. 
and just connecting somebody that had a problem with somebody that had a solution and putting them together. And so I do that when I don't even know I'm doing it. And when I started my business, I was like, okay, that's going to be my marketing budget. I'm going to join a networking group because that's all I could afford then. Dedicated myself, showing up every week, having the one-on-one meetings with all the different members in the group to educate them what I'm doing. And I leveraged other people's list to help build my own. You know, if you and I met, you might have sent one person to me. Well, that's one person on my list. And then maybe a month or two months later, you sent one more person to me. That's another person on my list. And I met with somebody else, Trudy, and she, she's like, oh my gosh. And next thing I know, she's introduced me to 15 people. And so I, I began to leverage other people's list so that I could build my own because it was a very low cost way to do it. And it aligned with my natural style. Speaking was not my thing when I first started out. Oh my gosh, I would get so nervous just doing my 60 second presentation, my knees would be knocking and I'd almost feel like I was going to vomit right there in the networking meeting. So I did as little of speaking as possible. So YouTube, not my thing. Podcast, not going to do it back then. But leveraging relationships, I would do it every day of the week, multiple times a day. And that was my commitment. 90 relationships, 90 meetings to get 90 people. And I was just that consistency. So let's talk about consistency with this. How do you continue to be consistent when you're getting one at a time or two at a time or four at a time, or it feels like you're not making traction fast enough or big enough? How do you handle that, navigate that? You have to understand that it's a long-term process, that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And it is hard and it is frustrating. I'm in the process of that now with a Facebook group, building up engagement from scratch, and it can feel defeating. So what I like to do is I like to set goals. You did 90 meetings, right? I need to get 25 blog posts done before I step back and see if it's working. I need to give it six months time in whatever that aspect is, right? Set set yourself a good limit that's going to give it time to develop so that you can really see if, if it's working for you. Now, especially when we're new, that might feel like, but I don't have that time. As coaches and service providers, we are doing different things at different times. So, you know, maybe you're networking with people and having these meetings. Maybe you want to get five guest blogs or five guest podcast appearances within three months. Have different avenues going and set measurable goals, set some smart goals for them so that you're giving yourself something achievable within a time frame that's going to allow it to happen. Another idea just popped in my head that I want to bring to the conversation. I remember when I first started back then, it was a teleclass because Zoom and Skype didn't even exist. So I feel pretty old right now. But I offered a teleclass. It was a six-week teleclass once a month, get on a call in a group of people. You know, I had a very small mailing list. And I was like, but I got to get people on there. I don't want to have zero people that sign up. And so one of the other ways that I built my list, I went to the people that I knew, my inner circle, and... I said, hey, I'm offering this program. I want to gift it to you on one condition. Actually, it was two conditions. And it was people that I thought might be kind of interested. They may not be my ideal client, but I'm like, you know what? They know me, so they'll go through it. And the two conditions were at the end, I want you to give me feedback on what you liked about it, what you didn't, what would you recommend I do differently? And if you did like it, I'd love for you to share a testimonial. So that was one condition. And the other condition was, I want you to invite one person to join. And the normal price at the time that I was offering it was $4.97. And I said, when you bring that one person, 
they'll get a 50% discount and I'll have them just so that I can get people in. Because again, that goal for me was people in the program so I could practice it and make sure everything was solid so they could get results. And so that was another way that I helped to increase my list is gifting people my offer, my course, so that they could bring others and they would just introduce me one person at a time. And then I filled that program with six people and then I offered again and now I've got 10 people and then I offered again and now I've got 15 people and just incrementally I keep growing. And then all of a sudden, when you do a promotion, Now you've got a list of 25, 50, or 100 people, and now they're sharing it. And now all of a sudden, 100 becomes 200, which becomes 400. And now exponentially, we continue to grow. Do you have any other hacks like that or little things that you did early on to help build your list? I do. Uh, When I started doing workshops, I did something very similar. The first couple times I did did them, I had a very low price point. I think it was 97 my first time, and I offered my list a 50% discount. When they purchased, I gave them a free ticket for a friend. It was it was a Zoom meeting, so that made it easy to offer a free gift. And they were able to bring friends. Those friends got on my list. They told people ab- about my workshops, and that gave me more people in those first workshops so that, again, I had an audience to be talking to, and I could get good feedback from them. You know, we think people don't want to hear what we do, but all of this comes down to having conversations with people. And it's very important. So network, network, network. You have mentioned that's what you like. That's what you are resonated to. And I think that's important, even if we don't like networking. There are lots of places we can network now, even online, LinkedIn, Facebook, having those conversations with people that might benefit from us our service, especially at the beginning, is so huge. Because th- when they get that personal one-on-one conversation with you, it does build that relationship. And it's building trust and it's building authority. So it's easier for them to make the referral. It's easier for them to recommend a friend because they already know and trust you. Yeah. Yep. Molly, is there anything else that you want to share with Melissa who sent in that email or other coaches listening in that are starting out from scratch? Any other advice on how they can begin to build their list? One of the things that was helpful to me in the beginning, and I still recommend to students often, is that like find who serves the same people you do, but in a different fashion. So they're not really your competitors. For instance, if you are a wedding planner, right? Maybe you reach out to some florist and some bakers and some wedding shops and let them know what you're doing. Uh, Talk to them about what they're doing. See if there's a way to make a relationship and support each other. Um, That can be huge for for long-term gain, uh, building those relationships with other people and that are serving the the same client because once those referral systems are in place, you can continually feed each other and you both win and your students and clients win as well because you can almost provide a network of who they want and what they need in areas where you aren't serving them. So I think don't ever underestimate building those relationships with other people who are serving your same student. And that can be through guesting. I talk about guesting a lot, guest blogging, appearing on podcasts, making a lead magnet and sharing it with somebody's newsletter with their list because it would be beneficial to their list as well. Those things can give you access to people that you wouldn't otherwise have access to. Exactly. And the caveat to that, the little asterisk for that, Just like Molly said at the very beginning, at the end of that blog article, at the end of that article, at the end of the podcast, always put 
your URL, the lead magnet, that call to action. If they liked this and they want to know more about this, what's their next step so that you can take them from listener or fan or follower to get them on your list because email lists are not dead. They're still the number one converting tool in the industry. You have to build your audience, your fans, your followers, your listeners, but you also have to get them on your list. Yes, always have that call to action for them and make sure you're continually providing them value, right? If you do a guest newsletter for somebody, even to the people on your own list, don't just send them things to send them things, provide real value because that's what's going to turn them from a reader into a subscriber, into a fan, into a buyer, into a super fan. And it's that continual engagement, that relationship building, that nurturing them. And again, ultimately, they're there because you're providing something for them. I love it. Let's summarize some of the things that we've talked about today. So we talked about when you're first getting started, first, you might have to look at your resistance to talk to the people that you already know or new people, because that might be holding you back, whether you realize it or not. Molly shared with us how to practice with that inner circle, the people that already know you and how that can develop your skill at talking about what you do so you don't get so tongue-tied or you don't get flustered and you can really identify those places where it might be a little awkward to talk about it and you can smooth that out and you can also get feedback on what's working and what's not so that you can really fine tune that conversation. And we talked about how to have detachment at first with really the only expectation is about sharing what you're doing right now and beginning to learn more about the people that you already know in new and different ways because you never know who they know or who they might be able to connect with you. We dove into what Molly did when she went from zero to one to two to four people on her list and how she used the newsletter putting her husband on there and saying, look, you're going to receive this. I'm not talking to the void. And she found where her people are hanging out and began answering their questions, making sure she had that lead magnet call to action with a sequence of emails so that they could be nurtured until they began to work together. We talked about if you're a video person and you love doing that, using YouTube or getting on podcasts, we talked about leveraging relationships. And really, it's about finding a style that best fits you and your natural style. I love when Molly shared, we have to understand that we're in a marathon. It's not a sprint and we have to give it time. We've got to set smart goals, give it time, whatever strategy we're using, give it three months at a minimum, six months probably, so that we can see what's working. And we shared some other hacks at the very end, and I'll let you go back and listen to that, but some really cool ways that you might be able to get more people on your list when you're first starting out. Molly, do you have any parting words for our listeners? I just want to let them know that it it is the long game and that consistency and putting yourself in those situations where you can gain followers, even when it's uncomfortable, really is the secret to success. There is no magic pill. There is no special sauce. It is consistency and value and relationship building. That's really what makes a strong list. Beautiful. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Molly for this amazing conversation about building a list from scratch. You can find out more about her at yourbestsexualself.com. That's yourbestsexualself.com. And if you have any questions that you want me to address, send it to podcasts at miracy.com. That's podcasts, plural, at miracy, M-I-R-A-S-E-E dot com. 
Molly, thank you so much for coming to the show. Thank you, Melinda. I had a blast. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as the newly launched Self-Awakened Lifestyle and Course Lab. Cynthia Lamb produced this episode. I wrote this episode with Mishi Lance. She assembled the episode. Danny Eney is our executive producer and post-production was by Post Office Sound. If you want to listen to upcoming great episodes on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It is the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Miracy. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud, we can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.